Good morning, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver, and I'm here with my sister, co-host, and partner in all things crime, Christy Brower. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Do I sound like I only got up half an hour ago? Yes, Teeny I... tiny bit. But here's the thing. It is Friday morning. It's early. And guess what? It's time. It's time to jump right into the Daybell uh, live stream this morning. It is up and running. So we're going to share the screen right now and get going. Nice. Are you sharing it or am I sharing I, yeah, it? Yeah, I'm sharing it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just... Conducting it remotely. It's also being live streamed on the court's YouTube channel for public access to this hearing. At this time, then, the court has scheduled for this morning a motion to sever. The motion to sever was filed on the 9th of September, 2021. Uh, thereafter, a brief in support of the motion to sever was filed on February 9th. Uh, the state filed a brief in objection and opposition on February 24th of this year. Uh, the court would note that on May 25th, 2021, in this case, a single indictment was filed in the case, which uh, included charges against both Mr. Daybell and also Lori Noreen Vallow, including multiple counts that uh, have conspiracy charges. And so the court has previously gone through and ruled that the cases are joined pursuant to Rule 8B of the Idaho Criminal Rules. And so this motion for severance was made uh, with the defense request that the case or the defendants be severed. So at this time, Mr. Pryor, are you ready to present argument in support of your motion? Yes, Your Honor. Okay, you can proceed with your argument. Thank you, Your Honor. Judge, in this particular case, uh, the two cases, as the court pointed out, were uh, joined by this court. Uh, subsequent to that, there was a order that put a stay on Ms. Laureen Noreen Vallow's case, uh, I am not uh, afforded the opportunity to get any information about the status of the Laureen Noreen Vallow uh, uh, Daybell uh, matter, and I don't have information as to what her status is. However, I do know that the stay is still in place, and I've not yet seen a uh, transport order that would transport Ms. Vallow Daybell back to uh, uh, Madison or Fremont County. I can only presume at this point, Judge, that there is still a stay and that there hasn't been a, uh, 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 there hasn't been any determination by this court as to what's going to happen in her case. The reason that's concerning, Judge, is this, is that we do have a trial that is set for January, I think it's January 9th of next year, and it's fast approaching. There's a significant amount of preparation that needs to be done, and that preparation is going to include whether or not uh, the cases are severed or whether they're joined together. There's going, and I'm not going to get into tactics, but I can assure the court that there is going to be a significant difference between how I prepare in the event the cases are joined as opposed to whether they're separate. In addition, Judge, I noticed that Ms. Blake in her response said that uh, the only issue is uh, Ms. Lori uh, Noreen Vallow's mental state. If you look at my pleadings and you look at my motion, Judge, I also made note of the fact that there are some additional charges that arise out of Arizona. Uh, those are charges that Mr. Daybell, at least if I believe what the press is saying and the prosecutor, Mr. Daybell has no, uh, um, um, uh, is not being uh, considered for prosecution in either of those cases, although Ms. Laureen Noreen Vallow is. Uh, my concern is that there's a lot of evidence, Judge. And with this court putting the uh, limitation on my ability to discuss specific facts as to what facts I want to rely on to, uh, to um, say this is why it needs to be severed, I put in in a, in a blank way, Judge, I said, Judge, I'd like the prosecutor and under the rule be required to provide their exhibits that they intend to use and allow the court, to, if the court needs that, to uh, make an evaluation as to whether there is a... Uh, um, a, a significant conflict and whether or not it would have some sort of prejudice in either side, be either Mr. Vallow or Mr. Daybell presenting their case. Right. So Ms. it's not Pryor, on that, on that point, the rule doesn't indicate anything about exhibits. The rule 
is pretty narrow in scope of what may be provided in support of a uh, relief for prejudicial joinder under Rule 14, and that's whether or not there are any statements or confessions. It's narrowed in scope to that is the way I read it, and I think the way the case law interprets it. And it is, Judge, and the, and the, the rule says the court may. It doesn't require the court to turn over the statements, uh, but I guess I, the word exhibits, I guess I intended to mean in terms of statements or uh, confessions or uh, items of the, that type of matter. So uh, my, my motion... I guess on that point there, then the state has indicated that you've been provided most of or all of the discovery at this point. And uh, I guess getting right to that issue, then if there are any particular statements or confessions that are involved in this case, I would think those would be something the court would consider, but I've not received any notice of any of that. Okay, and Judge, I guess I would refer the court to the rule, and the rule doesn't say provide it to defense counsel. That's correct. I've I've been provided the majority of the discovery. There's some there are some issues as it relates to that, but the rule has says that the court may request that those statements be provided to the court. It does not say it's provided to defense counsel. It says provided to the court for the court to to make a determination. So the rule is it does uh, it does. Um, allow the court to require the prosecutor to turn over those statements. But judge, the, the issue still primarily is the issue of the mental capacity of Ms. Uh, Vallow. So given that judge, I'll defer to Ms. Blake and allow her to make her argument. All right, thank you, Mr. Pryor. Ms. Blake, uh, argument from the state, please. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, and I think to start off with um, what uh, the state would indicate is we do recognize that we are arguing the motion uh, to sever today that was filed by Mr. Daybell. However, the state is requesting that the court reserve ruling on this matter until more information is available to the court and the parties regarding the stay in the co-defendant's case, um, which these are one case for trial. So when I say the co-defendant's case, I'm simply referring to Miss Lori Vallow Daybell's case, which is uh, Fremont County case number CR 22-21-1624, and it is the companion case for trial. It is the state's position that it would be most appropriate in the interest of judicial economy and to preserve all rights of the parties that Ms. Vallow Daybell also be allowed to be heard regarding a motion to sever since this also affects her trial rights. That being said, we are not asking for an indefinite delay on any ruling from the hearing today, but we feel that uh, any information that may be available to the court and the parties, um, hopefully fairly quickly, would be useful in making a decision regarding the severance and also wouldn't infringe upon the rights of either of the defendants uh, in this matter. Okay. So I would. Let me address that point then. So. Regardless of her status of competency or not, I assume that hasn't changed the evidence you've got in the case. And I guess the issue here is whether or not there are statements or confessions which you think the court should review in order to make a determination under the rule. And I, again, I, I do agree with Ms. Pryor. The rule pretty clearly states that if that's going to be ordered, that it's ordered that the attorney for the state deliver to the court that information. And of course, that's not something that would need to necessarily be disclosed here in public and we could have a sidebar, but I, I do want to know whether or not there are statements or confessions that uh, need to be considered in making the determination and not learn that at the time those are coming up at trial. So uh, in your evidence, do you believe there are any of these statements or confessions which go to the Bruton issue and many other issues which require me to weigh that out to make a decision? Your Honor, this, the state does not believe that there are any statements. We do not have any statements that we intend to use at this time that would fall under the Bruton rule as the state understands it and has reviewed the case law. As the state indicated in our brief, we have provided voluminous discovery to Mr. Pryor. We've provided everything within the state's possession at this time. Of course, discovery can be an ongoing process, and this could change at some point, but at the current uh, at the current time, there are no Bruton issues. There are no statements that the state intends to introduce, which would uh, trigger a Bruton issue. 
And so what the state had pointed out in our brief is while we recognize that Rule 14 can place that burden on the state, I don't think there's been any indication by the defense or a real issue raised with regard to them believing, the defense believing that there are brutal issues in this case or any statements, and they have access to the statements that we have access to. So from the state's perspective, no, there are none, and the defense already has uh, the statements that the court has in our possession. Uh, when we look at the cases that delve into that Bruton issue, again, indicated this time, we do not have any custodial statements. Um, so at no time after the parties were Mirandized, do we have any incriminating statements um, one way or the other, which we would intend to use um, at this point in time? Well, we wouldn't intend to use them because they simply don't exist at this juncture. Um, and again, of course, that could change. It's always an evolving issue. Um, which is part of the reason the state thinks it may be beneficial to preserve the ruling on severance since a motion to sever can be raised anytime before trial. And it's um, and as this case evolves, we recognize that it could go one way or the other. Um, in addition to if the court is inclined to make a ruling um, at a sooner period of time than the co-defendant, uh, Ms. Vallow Daybell's case can move forward. We think it would be appropriate for any ruling to be made without prejudice to allow the parties to re-raise the issue. Um, Ms. Vallow Daybell may or may not want to raise the issue, and depending on where her case heads, the state may or may not uh, feel that it is necessary to re-raise the issue, or depending on the outcome, um, if there is more information gained down the road, Mr. Daybell may want to re-raise the issue, uh, depending on the ruling of this court. So we would be requesting that just at the outset. And I don't know if the court wants to hear um, the argument regarding the severance itself or if we were just addressing whether or not the statements needed to be turned over. Yeah, I interjected with that issue, but I would like to hear the remainder of your argument on the severance motion. Thank you, Your Honor. And the state did follow, file quite a lengthy brief in this case, and so I don't want to uh, belabor those points too much. Um, but the state's position in this case um, is the first thing that we start with is under the Rule 8, and this court has already indicated these were joined under Rule 8B. Um, it's the state's position that these were properly joined. I think this court um, in its August 6th order and at subsequent hearings has made indication that the joinder in this case under Rule 8B, when we're dealing with the co-defendants, was permissible. Um, if it's been determined that under Rule 8B, a joint trial is permissible, a defendant can always raise a severance under Rule 14, arguing that the joint trial would be prejudicial. And that appears to be um, the state, uh, what the defendant is arguing today. However, case law makes very clear, and looking specifically at State v. Gamble, 146 Idaho 331, it states the defendant has the burden of showing such prejudice. When we delve further into the case law, and the federal courts seem to deal with this issue more so than the state court, uh, at least the Idaho state court, the Supreme Court has also addressed it. Um, and in United States v. Fair, 3-3, excuse me, in United States v. Contreras, that is not the right citation, I apologize, Judge. As the federal um, cases go through this, though, I would indicate that federal rule 14 is worded very similar to the Idaho rule, providing that um, the, the court may order separate trials of counts or sever the defendant's trials or provide other relief that justice requires if there is prejudice. In Richardson v. Marsh, 481 U.S. 200, the United States Supreme Court has found that joint trials serve the interest of justice by avoiding the scandal and inequity of inconsistent verdicts, that joint trials also enable more accurate, more, a more accurate assessment of relative culpability advantages, which sometimes operate to the defendant's benefit, and in addition, joint trials avoid prosecutors bringing separate proceedings, presenting the same evidence again and again, requiring victims and witnesses to repeat the inconvenience and sometimes trauma of testifying and randomly favoring the last tried defendants who have the advantage of knowing the prosecution's case beforehand. The defendant, um, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has stated the defendant bears the heavy burden of demonstrating that the joint trial was so manifestly prejudicial 
as to require the trial judge to exercise his discretion on the motion to sever in just one way by ordering a separate trial. And as we continue to go through the case law, um, the case law continues in both the Ninth Circuit, the federal courts in general, the United States Supreme Court, and the Idaho courts continually indicate that the burden is on the defendant, that it is a significant burden, and especially when we're dealing with cases of conspiracy. In cases of conspiracy, joinder is favored. Um, the reason being, again, for judicial economy, we are dealing with a lot of the same witnesses, the same evidence, and there is overlap. The courts have even found uh, that joinder is favored um, so strongly that even if at the end of the day, the charge itself that would require the joinder, so such as a conspiracy charge, even if a defendant is not found guilty of that, it does not make the joinder improper or a court's decision not to sever um, suspect in that particular um, situation. I think Mr. Pryor had indicated that the state raised that the only issue dealt with Ms. Vallow Daybell's mental health. Um, that issue wasn't actually raised by the state. Uh, where the burden is on the defendant, the state has simply responded to the brief and to what appeared to be the arguments that would be made by the defense today. In the brief, uh, there were no specific issues outlined uh, in defendant's brief. It, it appeared that there were some things alluded to. One of those appeared to be the stay in Ms. Valla Daybell's case. It is the state's position that it is inappropriate to consider the stay in her case as a reason to sever at this juncture. Again, these cases have been on separate tracks, so Mr. Daybell has had the opportunity to be heard and to file motions. While Ms. Vallo Daybell at times has not had that opportunity yet to be heard on some of those motions, um, which is part of the state's rationale for asking that uh, any decision in this case be reserved. But regardless, we believe that until a decision on the stay in her case is made, it would be premature to factor that into a decision to sever the cases. And when we look at some of the cases in the federal um, system, they deal with this issue and they talk about, um, I was trying to get to the exact case, but it's in our brief, and they do talk about um, the stay in the case being attributed to all the co-defendants potentially and accounting against their speedy trial clock in the federal system, which is calculated different. But the courts go on to talk about under the United States um, Constitution, that that can be a factor, but that it is not necessarily a violation of a defendant's right to continue their trial in order to have a joint trial with a co-defendant. Um, and it would be the state's position in this case, and I think we've raised this before, but with regard to any speedy trial issue and the right to speedy trial of a defendant, Mr. Vallow, or Mr. Daybell, excuse me, expressly waived his right to a speedy trial. He signed, he filed a signed waiver, written waiver of speedy trial. And in Idaho, the courts have found that once a waiver of speedy trial occurs, that issue cannot be raised down the road um, as an issue for a delay in a trial or a reason why the trial hasn't been held faster. And I did find um, the case that I was referencing so United States v. Vasquez, which is 918F2D329, it's a Second Circuit case, um, but they, they refer to the Speedy Trial Act in the federal system that imposes a unitary time clock on all co-defendants joined for trial. Um, United States v. Pena, 793F2D486, another Second uh, Circuit case, finds as a result, delay attributable to any one defendant is charged against the single clock thus making the delay applicable to all defendants. So they found that basically if a defendant brings a motion to sever, which is denied, a reasonable delay analysis is applied in determining the reasonableness of any delay. Even if under this standard, uh, even under this standard, several federal courts have found delay alone isn't enough to establish prejudice. And again, what they continue to come back to is that joinder of trials is favored. They have found judicial economy is paramount and that the state should not be required to bring forth the same evidence in multiple trials when it could be done in just one trial. And in United States v. Casas, it's a Fifth Circuit case, 
425F3D23, they found because the general rule is that those indicted together or tried together to prevent inconsistent verdicts and to conserve judicial and prosecutorial resources, severance is partially difficult, is particularly difficult to obtain, whereas here multiple defendants share a single indictment. They went on to find that one of the defendants that had attempted to have his trial severed, um, that even though his trial may have been speedier, had it been severed, the delays did not cause significant prejudice, nor did they result in the denial of a fair trial or a miscarriage of justice. They um, went on to just state the appellant must show prejudice greater than that which necessarily inheres whenever multiple defendants are tried jointly. And in this case, I think uh, there's just some potentials thrown out by the defendant. I don't think there's been a definitive showing that there is any prejudice. Um, one, I think one of the arguments here is the delay, but I think case law favors that delay alone is not enough to sever a trial. And the state in no means believes that uh, the trial should be held in perpetuity, but we have a trial date right now. There's been no indication that Ms. Vallodayville is going to ask to continue that if it turns out that she is able to proceed forward. In addition to that, the defense has um, proffered to the court or indicated that there is a chance that some evidence may be attempted to be used against Ms. Vallodaybell that deals with some issues in Arizona and saying that if that were used, it would be prejudicial against Mr. Daybell. I think that's premature at this point. Um, it's just an assumption or a speculation that that could happen. Uh, there could be, there are other appropriate ways to deal with that to determine if there is going to be evidence, um, such as a 404B motion to determine if it is applicable, if it is coming in, and if so, who that evidence would come in against. There are other things that courts have done to um, make sure that they're protecting one defendant's rights when there are joint trials. Uh, there have been cases in Idaho where two, a dual jury trial system has been used. There is case law saying that a dual trial system is not necessarily favored, but that it is not necessarily wrong to do that either. There are also times where maybe um, there are limiting, especially what we see as the most common remedy and what the courts have favored is limiting jury instructions. And they have found that the benefit should be given to jurors that they will follow those instructions. We shouldn't simply say that a limiting instruction, there's no way that it would be good enough. And so I think right now with the uh, minimal issues that have been raised at this point regarding any potential evidence, they're hypothetical at this point, we don't know. Um, and if there were to be any evidence that would come in only against one defendant, the courts have consistently held, and it's outlined in our brief very specifically, that a limiting jury instruction is favored and is often plenty to cure um, any of that. And it has been used repeatedly by courts uh, to deal with that issue when evidence would only be applicable to one defendant and not the other. Um, obviously, the other concern, as we talk about judicial economy, I think one of the things that we would point out as well is in a case of this magnitude, uh, requiring the state to present two different trials obviously would have a significant impact with regard uh, to costs for the counties involved, as well as time for all the witnesses. This is a trial that has been set for five weeks, the anticipation being that two of those weeks will be for jury selection and another three for the actual duration of the trial. If the state were required to replicate that same um, trial, obviously we are looking at the potential for another five weeks. It's actually already set for 10 weeks, I believe. Oh, 10 weeks. I apologize, Judge. All right. <laughs> I, was, I was definitely shortening that down. Yeah. So um, I appreciate that correction. And I think, um, so with that, we would be looking at the potential for 20 weeks um, that the state would have to replicate the same evidence, essentially, require us to call all the same witnesses, require us to um, use all the same staff and resources uh, to do those trials. So I think that judicial economy definitely plays into this case. I think as outlined in the rules, the burden is very um, is clearly attributed to the defendant, and it is a heightened burden to show that the only remedy would be to sever the trials. And it is a pretty, um, it is a unique remedy um, considering uh, what the courts have put out. 
In addition, one of the most common things that the courts look at, as the court already raised the Bruton issue, and I think we've addressed that, um, we addressed it both in our brief and here today in indicating there simply is not a Bruton issue at this juncture. The defense has not raised a Bruton issue. Um, they have the statements. Obviously, as I indicated, discovery is ongoing. If at any point statements are obtained, the state recognizes our requirements to immediately get those turned over to defense. And again, we recognize that that could raise a different issue, and we would need to deal with that at that time. The other thing um, that the state would indicate is a reason for severance or has been found as a reason for severance is if the defenses are completely antagonistic. In this case, there's not even been an argument or an issue raised with regard to the defenses being mutually antagonistic. And we outlined in our motion as well, but the courts have held that for them to be antagonistic is more than just uh, defendants having a different take on the case, but that it ha uh, most courts have held that the defenses have to be so antagonistic that in order to find one party guilty or one one party guilty, the other party would have to be innocent or vice versa. That it is such that if one defendant essentially puts on such a great defense or that the evidence is not there to convict them, that it automatically convicts the other defendant. Um, so those have happened in cases in which um, both defendants essentially claim it was the other one um, and there's nobody else that it could possibly be. However, courts have looked at cases in which defendants have pointed the finger at one another as being the culpable party but there was a third party involved. And the courts have found that by having that third party involved, simply pointing the finger at each other and blaming each other does not make the defense mutually antagonistic because the, a jury could rationally and reasonably find that neither party was guilty. They don't simply have to find if one's innocent, the other is guilty uh, by believing the evidence presented to them, they could believe that it was a third party or the other individual. So even if an antagonistic defense were raised in this case, unless it's to the extreme, it does not necessarily require severance. Um, so I think given that, um, it, it appears that, again, the main arguments raised by the defense is that there's the potential for some evidence to be admitted against Ms. Vallow Daybell, which would not be appropriately admitted against Mr. Daybell. I think the case law clearly supports that if that is the case, the state can simply provide an appropriate jury instruction, limiting jury instruction with regard to that. Um, and then it appears that the main crux um, outside of that would be whether or not there is prejudice based on a delay of the trial and again, the state's position is when you're dealing with co-defendants, uh, the federal courts, and again, we recognize they have a different clock, but they have established that the clock counts against both defendants, that there may be delays by some defendants, but that those delays alone are not enough without a showing of how it actually is going to prejudice the defendant. I don't think the defense has even put on any kind of argument or evidence today that even if the trial were to be delayed, which that's not where we're at at this point in time. But even if the trial were to be continued, I don't think there's been any showing of how that would delay the defendant. There's been no argument that it would change the evidence or that it would require that or that they would lose evidence or that there would be anything else which would require such extreme prejudice to to force a severance. And again, part of what the state's looking at there is there has been a waiver of speedy, a written waiver of speedy trial filed in this case. And with that waiver of speedy trial, Mr. Daybell has waived the right to uh, essentially use that as, a, as his argument. And that is in State v. Young, Youngblood, 117, Idaho, 160. And the, it was the Idaho Court of Appeals. They state an unequivocal written waiver of speedy trial signed by a defendant is dispositive of a later motion to dismiss on this basis. So I think if, if that's going to be part of the argument is the delay, the fact that we have that written waiver of a speedy trial actually indicates that that would be an improper reason to bring a motion to dismiss down the road. And the state feels it would be an improper um, argument as well for why a severance would be necessary or why it would be prejudicial. Um, so and
And I guess the uh, last thing with regard to the speedy trial is I would indicate that there has been a test um, set out. Um, it's a four-factor balancing test. It was set out in Barker v. Wingo, 407 U.S. 514, to determine whether speedy trial rights have been violated specifically. And it indicates the court must balance, one, the length of the delay, two, the reason for the delay, three, whether the defendant asserted the right, and four, the defendant suffered prejudice as a result of the delay. So at this juncture, there is no length of delay. There has been no request by Ms. Vallow Daybell to continue the trial. We are unsure of, of the status of her case, um, but there has been no delay based on that. Because there's been no delay, we don't have a reason for a delay. The defendant, whether or not he's asserted the right, he's actually waived the right. So number three, we know the answer to that one. And whether he suffered prejudice as the result of a delay, because there has been no delay at this juncture, he has not suffered any prejudice. So again, any argument with regard to a delay in the case is premature at this point, um, simply based on the fact that Ms. Vallow Daybell's case or her case number is stayed, her trial remains set for January, the same time as Mr. Daybell's case. So given all of those reasons, the state believes that the defense has failed to meet any burden um, that they, the heavy burden that they have under Rule 14, especially that heightened burden when we're dealing with conspiracy cases, since conspiracy cases more so are favored to be joined for trial. Um, and given the considerations in looking um, at the interest of all parties involved, um, which the courts have looked at previously, and the interest of keeping trials together, we believe at this juncture, it is more appropriate that the trials remain together. Again, the state recognizes severance um, is an issue that may be raised at any juncture. Um, we are asking that if there is a decision issued, first, we are asking that the court reserve ruling on it um, to allow Ms. Vallow Daybell to weigh in because whether or not the case is severed affects her trial rights as well. If the court is inclined to issue a ruling before then, we are asking that it be done without prejudice and that's to preserve all the parties' rights in the case. Again, um, as the court brought up the Bruton issues, at this juncture, there are none. We recognize that's evolving. So it's also, to, um, we would feel that it would be fair to have that be without prejudice with regard to Mr. Daybell as well. Um, if new evidence or information is raised, we understand that all parties may need to be heard on different issues again. Um, but again, we believe it would be premature to make any ruling based on hypothetical evidence that may or may not be asked to be entered without any kind of decision as to who that evidence would be applicable to. Uh, in addition to the fact we believe it's premature to make any ruling with regard to a delay um, or prejudice with regard to a delay since there has been none at this point in time. So I believe that concludes the state's arguments unless the court has any questions. All right, thank you, Ms. Blake. I don't have any follow-up questions for you at this time. Uh, Mr. Pryor, would you like to make any rebuttal argument? Judge, just very briefly, uh, I've also taken the opportunity to look at the case law, and I want to make a differentiation between a couple of things that Ms. Blake had mentioned. There is a big difference, Judge, between a delay, which is referenced in every case Ms. Blake talks about, and uncertainty. And there is a difference between delay and uncertainty. And in the case of Ms. Vallow, Daybell, there is uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. Now, I would remind the court that my recollection, and, and the court, please correct me, but my recollection is the motion to sever was filed, I believe, in September. I believe that's when I filed this. So for the month of September, October, November, December, January, February, and now we're into March, that uncertainty has stayed there. Now, Mr. Daybell has been in custody. And I understand Ms. Blake is saying that a waiver of speedy trial is not prejudicial, but that only applies towards a delay. That case law does not apply to uncertainty. And uncertainty means that we don't know where we're going to be in a month, two months from now, and potentially six or eight months from now. And the time to find out whether or not we're going to trial in January of 2023 is not the beginning of January of 2023. And Mr. Archibald is not able to file anything. Ms. Blake has said, well, the, the, the Ms. Vallow Daybell's attorney could file things. 
No, he can't. He's not allowed to file anything during the stay. He can't file a motion to sever. He can't file a motion to change venue. He can't file a motion to, to, um, to continue the trial. He can't do any of those things. He has to sit there and wait like everybody else and find out what's going to happen in her case. And that's the uncertainty. And that's where the difference is, Judge, is the amount of uncertainty. Now, with all respect to Ms. Blake, I don't have to accept her position that there's no Bruton issues. I'm aware when looking at the evidence that there are a number of instances where Ms. Vallow Daybell makes statements to the police and other folks. And there are a number of instances where Mr. Daybell was interviewed by the police. And I'm not allowed, given the court's current order, to go into detail. So it seems a little disingenuous that uh, they're going to say, well, you haven't provided any facts. Well, I'm not allowed to provide any facts because I'm not allowed to talk about the discovery which is why I asked specifically that if the court feels that, uh, that the, the, the uncertainty is not enough to sever these cases, then maybe the court should ask for the prosecutor to turn over all of the statements that they intend to use for trial, and the court can make its own independent assessment. Okay, but at this Mr. Mr. Pryor, I want to make a correction there. You're not prohibited from talking about the evidence to me. It's a pro prohibition to third parties. And judge, this thing is being this thing is being um, broadcasted on YouTube. And if I make a statement on YouTube about the evidence, I believe I'm in in contradiction of this court's order. Well, and you would be, and that's why I raised the issue earlier that if there are specific issues we need to discuss outside of the public purview, then we can simply conduct what's called a breakout room on Zoom or a sidebar that's out of the presence of the general public. And my preference, Judge, and I put that in the uh, motion, is that the court would uh, require the state to turn over all the statements, and I would defer to the court's wisdom as to whether or not they feel there's any brutal issues, which is how I thought Mr. Daybell and I discussed how we would like to handle that. But it still goes back to the original argument, Judge. The uncertainty of what's going to happen in Lori Vallow Daybell's case is a big difference than the, the delay of any trial. So at this point, I would ask the court to issue a severance order, uh, sever these cases, and I don't want any delay, Judge. We, we need to have some sort of certainty, uh, just like some of the other motions coming up. We need to know how we're going to be handling this case, and we need to know relatively quickly. We are nine months out, and there needs to be some certainty as to which direction we're going to go, whatever that decision is by this court. All right. Thank you, Mr. Pryor. Uh, Ms. Blake, do you have any brief counter rebuttal? You can offer that at this time. Uh, thank you, Your Honor. I think uh, the state would just, again, and I think the, the court's already inquired of the state, we do not have any statements in our possession. When you look at the Bruton case law, we don't have the type of statements that are addressed by Bruton. As Mr. Pryor indicated, he is in possession of multiple statements. I think Rule 14, from the state's perspective, does not call for or require the additional burden on the state for us to compile any and every statement that a defendant may have made to anybody, um, to any third party or any witness that the state would intend to use at trial. I think when we provide discovery, there's the assumption that the state may intend to use any of that discovery or evidence at trial. Mr. Pryor's already indicated he is in possession of those statements. So I think the defense already has any statements that they may be concerned about, which I think we could go out of the public purview to talk about any specific statements if he wants to address those with the state. We are not aware of any that we believe would arise uh, to a Bruton issue. If Mr. Pryor feels different, it sounds like he's in possession of those statements already. And I think we could discuss them off the record so that the state could be aware of them. I don't think Rule 14, though, um, calls for or requires that the state have any additional burden added uh, that we essentially prepare every statement that we may want to use at trial at this juncture and provide them to the court. Um, if, if the court were to require that of the state, I would indicate given the voluminous amount of discovery and the multiple statements that may have been made to third parties or any individual in this case would take the state a significant amount of time to delve through again to make sure that we did not miss any statements. Um, but again, none of those statements uh, involve Bruton issues. So I think it would be an extra burden on the state to require that. But if so, then we would need to request that we set these proceedings out a, a significant period of time to allow the state to make sure that we review all discovery thoroughly uh, to make sure that we don't miss any potential statements that 
we'd have to guess that the defense may think are somehow incriminating or would trigger the Bruton issue. So if the defense is in possession of those, I think we could go out of the public purview and talk about those, or they could be provided by the defense uh, to the court or the state uh, so that the state is aware that they consider those concerning um, and or the court. I don't think Rule 14 prohibits the defense from providing statements that they have concerns about, uh, but the state simply has none at this uh, juncture. Um, and then I would just indicate, uh, just to clarify, the state uh, has not indicated, or if there was an appearance that, there, that we indicated that Ms. Vallow Daybell's attorney could file anything at this juncture, we did not intend to indicate that. The state is well aware that Mr. Archibald cannot file uh, things at this juncture because of the pending stay, which is why we're asking for the reserved ruling on this matter or that it be made without prejudice to allow Ms. Vallow Daybell to be heard at such time as she can, uh, recognizing that at this juncture, she's not able to be heard regarding this issue. Uh, so I did just want to clarify that um, with regard to those issues that were raised. And Judge, I would like an opportunity to respond, seeing that it is my motion. Let's go ahead. Yes. And very briefly, Judge, I would, you know, I believe that Ms. Blake is misinterpreting uh, Rule 14. The rule simply says the court may require the prosecuting attorney to provide all statements that they intend to use at trial. Uh, putting the burden on me to provide those to the, to, the, to the judge isn't what the rule says. So at this point, if the court is even thinking that uh, for some reason they shouldn't sever this thing, the burden is on the state. It's not on me. And Ms. Blake putting it on me is inappropriate. It's on them. And they don't get to pick and say, well, we don't think there's any issues there. But the court has discretion. The court can say, I want the statements or I don't want the statements. That's clearly within the purview of the court. But it's not within uh, Ms. Blake to say, well, we don't have any Bruton issues, so we don't need to provide them. That's, that's a total misinterpretation of the rule. The rule requires the state to provide them if this court deems them an issue important enough for them to review. I don't want any delay, Judge. I need a decision one way or the other as to whether this is going to be severed because I have a significant amount of preparation that I'm going to need to do, and there's going to be an impact which way this goes. And this has been pending for five, this motion's been pending for five months, and it hasn't changed in five months Ms. Vallow Daybell's position in terms of where she's at. We have no certainty as to where it's going to be in another five or six months. And I think it's inappropriate to put Mr. Daybell hanging in this situation uh, with the idea that we don't have any certainty as where this is going. Given that, Judge, there's a difference between delay and uncertainty. And given the uncertainty, Your Honor, I would respectfully ask this court to sever the cases. All right. I appreciate the arguments from everyone. Uh, I am going to take the matter under advisement at this time. I'll consider it submitted and the court will issue a written ruling on the motion. Thank you, Your Honor. All right. Anything else we need to bring up on the case this morning, uh, Mr. Pryor? I don't believe so, Your Honor. Thank you for your patience in this matter. Thank you, Mr. Pryor. Uh, Ms. Blake, anything further from the state? Your Honor, the state was going to ask, and I think uh, I'd leave it to the court, but I think we may be able to go off the record for this. Um, but the state did just have a housekeeping issue with a hearing that we had set yesterday. Um, we just wanted to clarify something with the court with regard to that setting. Okay, why don't we go ahead and conclude this hearing. Uh, we will go off of the broadcast of the hearing on the YouTube channel. We'll have the court reporter included, however, and let's take up a breakout session uh, where we'll make a transcript of that, and I'll just discuss that housekeeping matter with counsel. So the motion to sever is concluded. Uh, if you want to go ahead and stop the live stream. Uh, Well, there you go. There were there were some uh, there were some pretty good moments in there. <laughs> Uncertainty, Your Honor. Uncertainty. <laughs> oh, 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 I don't know. I love the Freudian slip of uh, leaving Mister Daybell hanging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good one. That was a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and Blake calling him Mister Vallow. That was pretty great too. <laughs> Well, and of course, <laughs> straight from the get-go, prior calling Lori 
Miss Vallow. Miss Lori Noreen Vallow. Miss Lori Noreen Vallow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Wood finally broke and shook his head. <laughs> and I was like, yep. You know, he tries to stay just as straight-faced as possible for as long as he can. But, you know, eventually he's had enough of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> there towards the end prior. Well, uh, I would like to respond to that, Judge, considering this was my motion. Oh, I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, Pryor, we all know it's your motion, for God's mm-hmm. sake. Yeah. Well, he no. was sure uh, fishing for um, evidence, though, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Especially fishing for statements on Lori's part. Uh-huh. Well, and he just, he cannot take the prosecution he just you know will not see them as anything but liars you know oh they do have something but they don't Lori hasn't made any incriminating statements no yeah yeah well and he pushed several times to know more about Lori's status and boy the judge just said nothing nothing i know i was really hoping there were, there would be a little peep on that today but not a I damn hope thing so too yeah 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 lindsay was kind of she was a little flat repetitive today. she yeah. also says i think a lot she needs to speak in a more definitive way yeah i think we don't have any of those statements no the we don't have any of those statements it all it sounded a little shaky in some Mm -hmm. places just experience Mm -hmm. she's brand new you guys yeah she was just elected as the uh um prosecutor for fremont county and stepped right into this shit yeah Yeah. like this was like her first case (laughs) yeah but yeah, she needs she needs to be more decisive uh-huh. in her speech. And yeah. And yeah, she does you're right. I think um again Tara says it really weakens her statements. It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She she needs to work on just being much more definitive. Yeah. And not being afraid to say, we don't have those statements. Not I think we don't. We don't. Yeah. yeah. She knows that they don't. They know what they have. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I was thinking that too, Tara. Rachel Smith needs to uh, continue to uh, to coach her because, yeah, yeah, Rachel was right on point yesterday. Yeah. Oh, she was. Yeah, and she never had to say anything twice, which was great. Yeah, for sure. Yep, she's definitely practicing with a really good uh, basis, you know, behind her with Rachel and Rob. But they need to continue to, uh, you know. To work on it. To work on it, to coach her along. Yep. Yeah. Pryor is a pretty good um, defense attorney. I mean, he is, mm-hmm. you know, standing up for Chad's rights and doing mm-hmm. the things that he needs he's to doing do. Doing all the right things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a whiny he's... little bitch, but, you know. <laughs> he's a defense attorney. I think they all are. Well, and, you know, like we talked about uh, yesterday, there's no defense in this case other than yeah. all of this procedural crap, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part. There's... Not much you to think go Pryor on. made strong points and will get his way on this one. I don't, Tara. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that it meets the state law requirements. Mm-mm. The judge does not want to sever this case. He's already made he, that clear. He's said it so many times he that has. he really has no intention of severing this case. Unless Lori is just, they decide she is just never going to be spiffed up and brought back to court. He is yeah. not severing this case. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'll be real surprised if he does. Yeah. For one, I mean, we're talking about a tiny little county with a tiny little budget and to expect them to pay for this trial times two. That judicial economy is a huge issue from what I've been Mm -hmm. reading that it outweighs a lot of things. Yeah. 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 You think he's going to go with two juries? Hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. The way that the way that the judge has spoken about it all along is that mm-hmm. he has no intention of severing. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, whether they want to hang this all on Lori's mental health or not, that really is where it's at. It is. It totally as long is. as Lori's coming back to court, this is never getting severed. Yeah. But 
we don't know, you know, for sure what's happening with that. So I was really no, but hoping the today judge... there would be a peep about it. Right. Yeah. Um, the judge does know, you know, right. the judge is getting status yeah. updates. And so he knows more than we do about that. Yep. 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 It's true. It sucks to think that the budget overrules somebody's rights to a fair trial. And then there's definitely a balance there for sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's, it definitely is a conversation. It comes into play for sure. Mm -hmm. It does. It does. Um, but I mean, if you look at the Idaho law around it, um, there are a lot of ways to protect his rights, even while keeping the trials joined. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good point, PJ. You would think that with all the work prior needs to do, he'd be happy for delays. It would give him more time, right? Right. He the just talks out of both sides of his mouth the whole time. <laughs> right. And every single time we're in court with this guy, the whining about the fact that he has to do work is so outrageous to me. Like, bro, what are you getting paid for? Yeah. Yeah. There's work to do. Mm -hmm. This is a huge case. This is a voluminous case, don't you know? <laughs> Lindsay Blake said it. She was the only one. Right. <laughs> the virus would spread this time like it did last time. <laughs> I can't believe Briar normally says it a thousand times. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's going to yeah. be very interesting to see what the judge has to say about all of it, you know? Yeah. Boy, Chad looks yeah. very chatty, doesn't he? Boy, you know, when we first started, he had a very weird, creepy look on his face. And then he settled down into resting toad face. But mm -hmm. yeah, he looks real chatty. I was also thinking that Pryor looks like he's aged a lot this last year. He does. He's very red faced, too. I wonder about his blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your honor, it isn't fair. I have to actually work to get paid for this case. Right. Right. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Yep, Sarah, that's that's pretty much what he says every time. Yeah, it, it is. There's a lot of complaining there. But, <clears throat> you know, the problem is <clears throat> I read all of these briefs when they submitted them. And the, the, the evidence for severing on Pryor's part was light mm -hmm. compared to the evidence against severing from the prosecution, the difference in length of brief, Pryor's brief was like five pages and the yeah. state's brief was like 25 pages. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. But of course, there's stuff the judge knows that we don't know. And yeah. 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 And it's true, Rambahedral. It's very true that we may never see any of this make it to trial because we still I think somebody's going to roll somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I still think that that is very much likely that all of this mm -hmm. is moot because eventually there's going to be some kind of a deal. Yeah. yeah. But we have to go through. It's the process, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and I honestly going through the whole process of this entire situation, I think is so enlightening and educational for all of us. Oh, you definitely. know, it, it's a great opportunity to learn more about our justice system. I think this yeah. is great. Yeah. Does Wood and Blake know about Lori's status? I would assume that they do. They, yeah. Yeah. Yes. They know and her attorney knows and the judge knows, but the defense doesn't. Yeah. But but prior doesn't because it's HIPAA. It's a HIPAA violation. Yeah. So only people who have to know mm -hmm. know. And see, back when Means was uh, Lori's attorney, I absolutely believe that he was filling uh, prior in on the DL on some of this stuff. I mean, they shared an office for Christ's sake. You think right. they, they weren't talking, sure. you know? So I think he had more of an uh, inside track, whether it was appropriate or not to what was going on with Lori. And now he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree. Well, that's her status right now is it went from incompetent, to pending right is mm -hmm. it still pending i the last i saw it it was yeah and, and so there are story. questions about what does that mean and does that mm -hmm. mean she's about to be sent back to jail mm -hmm. see we think that if they're ready to send her back to the jail they will probably do it before they change that status right 
for security, you know, which makes sense because, mm-hmm. you know, remember when they first brought her to the jail, there was all kinds of uh, press, me included, hanging out at the jail for like t- 10 hours to wait to see her come, her ass show up there, you know. So right. I think that they, for security reasons, they'll definitely bring her back to the jail before we hear about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Right. And and Chad did waive his right to speedy trial. So mm-hmm. that does not apply here. He waived it. Right. And every time Pryor starts yelling about it, uh, it's the same. Like, <laughs> you waived it. So you yeah. can't keep yelling about it. And I'm glad, I'm glad that Blake brought that up repeatedly. Yeah. I mean, that... It could take a couple of weeks, really, for them to get to all of their ducks in a row and be prepared for her back at the jail and mm-hmm. have the uh, medical staff feel like they're totally ready to release her. It could take a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could. It could. Yeah. Now, depending on where she is, because, of course, we we do believe she's in Blackfoot, but there's been some argument, too, that she might be in Orfino. Or Orfino? Is that right? Yeah, Orfino. And if she's in Blackfoot, she's only about an hour away. Mm-hmm. So as far as, like, literally transferring her, it's a short drive. Yeah. If she's in Orfino, that's more of a, I don't know, five, six-hour drive? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the wheels of justice do grind very slowly, as slow as Chad can be motionless. And you know, he's like that in every <laughs> hearing. He sits there like a statue in every single hearing we've seen. He doesn't well, even act like a human being. Like he, his face is flat. And, yeah, but in the very, very beginning, the very first appearances we saw from Chad, he was leering. He had the weirdest, creepiest-ass smile on his face. He did, yeah. And we wonder if he heard the word from his attorney to just sit there, blink face, stone face, don't do another goddamn thing. (laughs) Because it was really weird. It was. So we wonder if he's been coached to, you know, sit there with the resting toad face and do nothing. Yeah. Well, I am impressed that this got done so quickly. But I think it's because most of their arguments were in briefs. Mm-hmm. I expected this to take a lot longer, but they didn't mm-hmm. talk about a lot of what was written in the briefs. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. he has become a zombie. <laughs> yeah, Sarah, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I love the argument between the two of them that uh, uh, it's on the, they're the ones that asked for this. The, the defense asked for this. They have to prove it. Right. I don't have to prove it. They have to prove it. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. No. I'm yeah. sure you do have to prove it. Yeah. And that's when Wood finally broke and shook his head. <laughs> this is pretty great. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like you drag us all to court to argue something. And then when you're expected to prove it, you don't think that's your responsibility? Oh. Right. Come on, dude. No. Yeah. Yeah. Prior isn't getting big bags of cash. It's true, Linda. He's not. Yeah. Chad doesn't have a lot of money, man. They spent no. so much of it on their little vacation to Hawaii and all the stupid stuff they've done. Our briefs yeah. usually over 50 pages long. It depends. It depends on um, I what mean, it if is. Mark Means fire, filed them, then yes. Yes. 49 I mean, pages there are like of three or four pages one page just for the information. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and They're several pages. not that long, but. Several pages just for all of the uh, the footnotes as well. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, my gosh. I'm glad I don't have to read any more of his briefs. Really? I'm kind of sad. That last stint, all of that stuff about the Mormon church and the state. <laughs> and, oh, my. That it was, was the most unhinged great. stuff I've ever seen. I still can't even. I, I can't. I think Mark actually maybe had like a mental breakdown. <laughs> yeah, he really was clearly like not in a. Clear, clear state of clarity when he wrote it. <laughs> big lapses of ju- judgment there but anyway yeah so i do miss his briefs because wow big hard wow yeah yeah every time we say briefs you think of underwear renee <laughs> <laughs> that's funny he moved when he heard ballo day bell ah interesting well it cracks me up however yeah Lindsay blake accidentally calling a chad mr ballo is <laughs> That was excellent. <laughs> yeah, that was excellent. And then, yeah, well, in the in the way prior, Lori Noreen Ballow, she's freaking miss. married to your miss. Yeah, miss Lori Noreen Ballow. Give me a break. Yeah, 
I know, but he sure wishes that wasn't the case. Yeah. He really wishes that we could make the judge forget that part. And he'll make do his best to try and make the jury forget that part, too. Yeah. That's why if I were Lindsay Blake, I would have called her Mrs. Vallow every or Mrs. Daybell. Mrs. Daybell. Sorry, every time Mrs. I referred Daybell. to her, I would call her Mrs. Daybell. Yeah. 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 Boy, that was definitely an attempt that was really unsuccessful, I think. Mm -hmm. He does it every time. Mm -hmm. Just trying to get that little bit more separation going. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. wonder how uh, Miss Lori felt about this. Uh, you know, she watches all these. Like, That's with true. Her, with her counselor. That's true. Can they contact each other? Oh, no, they're not allowed mm -hmm. to have any contact. No. Not since Chad was arrested. Yeah. Yeah, be, they're co-conspirators, so they cannot have any contact with each other. Yeah. Right. She was the one. Mark Means was the one that raised a big stink about them, referring to her as Lori Daybell. Yeah. And so, yeah, this, it's funny to see the uh, the little separation here that, uh, that Pryor's trying to get, because that's true in court. They argued for that, or not argued for, but insisted, you know, that she be called the correct name. Yeah. Yep. Well, there you have it. That's right. where it's at. So that was interesting. I don't know that we learned a whole hell of a lot, but it was entertaining nonetheless. So yeah. and we'll, the main thing we'll I was hoping you. to hear was about competency, and sadly we didn't. But No, we didn't. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not sure what all this means. You know, are we going to start seeing her mm -hmm. coming out of the hospital here soon? We might. I think so. I really do. And I think that uh, some of you guys said that you felt like maybe the uh, – prosecution knows that you know and so they're kind of like i mean how many eggs do we throw in this basket and, and mm -hmm. i think you may be right yeah well and the judge made no yeah. attempt at all to address that with um prior which makes me wonder also mm -hmm. if they know that it's coming yeah now lydia that's an interesting thought she said do the piggies have any insight on Lori's status their guess would be as good as anybody's <laughs> so i mean we could probably set up some sort of, uh, you know, a test. I could put out two treats and mm -hmm. one is yes and one is no. And depending on which treat they run to first, we would have our answer. Maybe you should make a video. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Yeah. They're, they're currently having their after breakfast nap. But... Oh. <laughs> Life is rough. Life is rough when you are a swine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sarah said, I would watch that. All right. I'll see if I can organize this. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll put, watch for it on our TikTok. <laughs> I might have to lock one of them outside and do this with just Fiona because, uh, well, yeah, I wouldn't try why to... does Zig get ousted? Well, it's not fair. Maybe it should be Zig to decide. His attorney's going to argue. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, I should probably do it with both of them and see if there's any accuracy to it. Mm-hmm. Test it. Yeah. Good idea. I also have a completely off-topic side note, but um, a lot of you guys have heard me talking about the fact that I'm getting a new puppy. I'm getting two new puppies. <laughs> <laughs> you finally decided you are taking the other boy then, huh? We are going to take the other boy. So they're dear chihuahuas. We were already getting a fawn male uh, that we were going to name Bruno. And you guys, this is so cliche and embarrassing. We're getting now also the little dark brown boy, and we're going to name him Luca. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just a big Disney movie around here, apparently. Apparently yeah. are, but oh, that's exciting. Yes. Fun. Will it be a voluminous snack? It will probably be a carrot. Yeah. They love carrots. They'll do anything for a carrot. I'm very curious to see what their prediction is. Yeah. Yeah, we'll find out. It'll be a hard choice when there's carrots on both sides of the room. What will they do? Right. Pig pendulums. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> this might be the beginning of the pigs predicting a lot of things. <laughs> yep. Oh, that is too funny. Yeah. So, yes, we're insane. I, I can't. <laughs> it wasn't my plan. It was Scott's. He's the one that said, I just really think maybe we should go ahead and take the other male and have, you know, get the brothers. So 
It makes I sense. emailed the breeder this morning and she said, yeah, he's totally available. He is all yours. So oh. There he is. That's Luca. So cute. And that's Bruno with his little eyes just starting to open. Oh my gosh. I cannot They're wait so to meet cute. Them. Yeah. So they're only two weeks old right now. You know. Got a little time. <laughs> yeah. But they're going to be itty bitties. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Pretty fun. All right. Well, I will get on the piggy predictions and Please. we'll see where they go. So yeah, keep an eye on TikTok and we'll probably share it over to uh, Facebook too, but we'll figure this out. Yes. These pigs know what's up. They do. Yeah. <laughs> All righty, you guys. Well, have a good weekend. Yes. It's Friday, for God's sake. Go do something fun. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen, by the way, on, I keep seeing a meme floating around on Facebook that there was this social experiment where uh, a kindergarten class recorded the kids uh, giving people uplifting messages. And you can call this hotline and get a message from a kindergartner. I have seen. And you don't actually speak to a kindergartner because, you know, there's a lot of creeps in the world. But you do get to hear a little message from the kindergartners. And it's so freaking cute. And the one little boy says, uh, if you're feeling sad, go get a cookie. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my message to all of you today. Go get a cookie. Have a good day. Do something Mm -hmm. fun this weekend. Don't. Just clean house yeah. or maybe do clean house. That's for me. Do clean house. Yeah. <laughs> I've been gone a lot lately, but uh, at any rate, you guys have a good weekend. We'll be around. Of course, we'll be back next week with all of our regularly scheduled stuff. And uh, so I believe court for the 23rd was canceled. Is that correct? For Daybells yesterday? Mm, no, it wasn't canceled. It wasn't canceled. Okay. So court on the 23rd. So we'll be back next week with more. Yeah. Uh, more of the uh, belligerent herd circus. Yep. <laughs> All righty, guys. <laughs> Take care. This has been yet another production of True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. <laughs> Thanks for being here. <laughs>